Please note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. Welcome to Adjust Your Tracking, a podcast where we're clearing out our movie backlogs by going year by year, decade by decade for a century of cinema. And I'm Liam. And I'm Ollie. And we have started the show. How you doing? I'm doing really good. I am, I am actually doing really good. I'm more hyped and and I can't stop doing impressions of this film. You've got a big day today and you've got a presentation, uh, an online presentation, is that correct? Yeah, I've got a bloody online... Um, what you call it, another conference to go to. So um, I'm, I'm guessing this was originally meant to be an in-person conference. Yes, it was. Yeah. It was meant to be in a little village called Trefonnen. How far away is that from Which, you? Um, I don't know. North. <laughs> it's north of me. Okay. <laughs> it's north. Long enough. I think it's quite far north to me. I'm quite oh. far south. So. Are these what you've been making the videos for? Yes, uh-huh. I have been. But um, I think I'm presenting at two o'clock. So, when we release this mo- this episode in four weeks, then <laughs> <laughs> we could say at two o'clock. <laughs> two o'clock four weeks ago, I was presenting, so tune in. <laughs> so, yeah, what else you been up to during your um, lockdown? Uh, mainly, mainly, I don't know, being incredibly paranoid about coronavirus, I think. Like, I'm just convinced that I'm going to get sick and die. Frankly, That's anytime I get anytime I get post or I buy food, I anti back it. Oh, I know. I don't know if that's over the overreaction, but I tend to like if I get something delivered to me. So I was trying to get a um a NAS drive working. So every time I got something delivered for it, I would kind of tear everything open, take everything out inside, and then kind of dispose of anything, and then like clean myself like a hundred <laughs> times. I anti back to banana the other day. A banana. I never <laughs> thought I'd ever do that. You've got that image in your head now. Yes. You would lube over the banana. <laughs> <laughs> you know you don't eat the skin. I do know that, but I don't. I still yeah. have to hold it. <laughs> well, just wash clean your hands after you've eaten it. I know, but I wasn't thinking straight. I, you know. <laughs> Uh, the world's mad the world's mad so anyway what movies you've been watching this week um i've been really exciting and i've been watching gus van sant films oh have you seen jerry yet is it jerry yeah i watched jerry yesterday i like jerry i really really liked it i haven't seen it in about 15 years but i actually like when i went through a phase of like say like the early to mid 20 the 20s (laughs) 2000s where i'd really go after like obscure or indie films i mean i still do now but not to the extent mm. i did back then like do you remember we went through that period of we would just buy japanese films just because it was japanese and never watched them more like korean films was it korean before, wasn't it films, yeah like dragon head and natural city and i don't know zatoichi that was a good one though um, zatoichi is really good what was that was it zebra head zebra head yeah that was good. Wasn't that what a Takeshi was Mike one? film? I think it's Takeshi Mike. Oh. Every, Takeshi Mike's made so many films. He's Who's made knows, over a hundred films, man. I don't know how he does it. Yeah, that was this year. <laughs> Already this year. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever watched his Ace um, uh, Attorney Ace Attorney film? He did that you know film. That? Yeah, yeah. Based I'm on sure the DS did. game. Am I mixing them up? Am I mixing up Japanese people? Am I being really? I hope he does a Professor Layton versus Ace Attorney movie <laughs> yes 
You should have done the the um. You should have done the Pokemon film. Was the school one Volcano High, which was basically like Dragon yes, Ball Z? It yeah. was Volcano High, yeah, because they were all doing like Kami Hami Hars at each other. I kind of got a bit bored by that one. It is, yeah, I agree. I'm just, oh my God, I can't go through Takeshi Mike's fucking like film. It's Zebra Man Two. Not even though he didn't make the first one. No, I think he did. He did make it. He did make Ace Attorney. I wasn't fucking wrong. Got scared then. 2012. Yeah. Yeah, what was his big one? Itchy the Killer, an audition. Itchy the Killer, audition. Did he do... Oh, he did The Happiness no. of the Katakuras as well? Or I think I'm pronouncing it right. Because I remember you bought that and we watched him. We're like, what the fuck is this? It's amazing. It's amazing. I've seen it? it so many times. He did do Happiness of the Katakuras. I'm getting, I get mixed up, but... He did 13 Assassins. 13 Assassins is a great that's film. That's it, that's it. It's such a fantastic film. I think he did one... Actually, I think he did one that I've put on our like schedule for the 2010s or something. Okay. Like that. No spoilers, no spoilers. I know. So, Gus Van Sant, yeah? <laughs> Little tease. Uh, yeah, Gus Van Sant. So, I've, I watched his Death Trilogy, basically. So, that's Jerry, um, Elephant, and Last Day. Oh, so I've seen all of those. I didn't, I didn't realise they were called his Death Trilogy. Death Trilogy. Well, I'm really, as as you can see, I'm in a good mood watching his Death Trilogy at the moment. But Jerry, I really liked, um, even though it's very slow and long, but it's it's an homage to two things, which did make me laugh. Uh, Belatar, you know, the Hungarian mm-hmm. film director who's known for his incredibly long kind of scenes and takes. Like, I think he did a whole film about a horse being beaten to death in Turin or something. Who did the film that's like seven hours long and it's only got like a hundred shots in the whole film? It could be Bellatar, but I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, and it's also influenced by Tomb Raider. Because (laughs) they basically say that the thing with video games is you can't cut away from stuff, so you're always following a character walking. So that's what the film tries to do, is that because they're walking a long way, the film tries to constantly follow them walking and not cut away. So it's Casey Affleck, isn't it, and Matt Damon? Yeah. And they yeah, both and Damon. they both have as good an ass as a pixelated Lara Croft, that's for sure. Yes. <laughs> and better boobs. Better boobs. Do you remember how pointy <laughs> her boobs were in that first <laughs> game? <laughs> it was an error, wasn't it? The programmers. They accidentally put the wrong settings in and accidentally gave her massive pointy boobs. And just kept it because, you know. So what did you think of Elephant? I loved it, actually. I think it's... I had a bad opinion of those three films. And I've never actually sat down and watched them. I, I realise I like Gus Van Sant, but I've actually seen little of his films. So I thought, finally, I have to kind of catch up. And people t- kept on saying how Elephant's really bad. But actually, I think it really holds up. And I think it actually is really good. Um, so, so if any, no really one knows, it. Elephant is about school shooting. Yeah, it's strongly based on kind of Columbine. Yeah. Or influenced by, it's not based on. And Jerry's just about two people stranded in the desert. I can't remember what the reason was. It's been that long. It's, again, based on a real-life situation where two guys going going for a hike and get lost. And, and they just walked through the desert like and the other to one, try and kind of find safety. What's the other one? Is it Last Days? Last Days, which is basically based on a, like um, Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Um, and him killing himself, really. So... Did you ever see the um, the Kurt Cobain documentary, Montage of Heck? No, I didn't actually. It's really good, man. I mean, you know, it is produced by Courtney Love, so it's probably a bit one, maybe a bit one-sided, and sure. and um, 
Dave Grohl is nowhere to be found in it, apart from like archive oh, really? footage of yeah, because they don't get on, do they? But Chris yeah. Novoselic's in it though. I was going to ask that. Yeah, I was going to say I do think people are a little too harsh to Courtney Love. Uh, that's my slight defense of it. I know she's a bit of a mess, but to accuse her of killing her husband just because she's a bit of a mess is a little much. Yeah, I don't think she right. did that. I think it was just a bit of, he was a young guy who met a girl that he really liked and just kind of was a bit besotted by her. Yeah. And, and they both had a bit of um, an issue with drugs. <laughs> yeah. A bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it probably rubbed the other members of Nirvana up the wrong way, probably. And, uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. And they're young as well. People always forget that people are so fucking young in bands. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah, 100%. Uh, i tell you what I watched. Okay, yeah. I watched Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> oh, dear. Do you know when I watched it? When? Three o'clock this morning, I woke up. And I had, I'd only watched a little <laughs> bit of it. I thought, I can't sleep. I'll just, I'll just finish watching Sonic the Hedgehog. So I watched something with Hedgehog. Don't you think... This is why I wanted you to watch that. Don't you think every choice they made from a screenwriting point of view is baffling in that film? Like, like the, the introduction... Spoilers for Sonic, guys. The introduction where he's in his own world getting attacked by animals or something and then he's he's looked after by an owl and then is what is that? It's not even Sonic I know at that point. It looked like the ones that were after him were like Knuckles, you know, like the red the red hedgehog. Oh, I guess, yeah, Akina, yeah. I mean, my I Sonic so. lore goes as far as Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and that's it. Well, anyone's Sonic... The, the fact that Green Hill Zone in this film is the town he lives in in Wisconsin or wherever the fuck yeah, it's he is... It's a real place. ...is shit. The fact that like he escapes his real Sonic Land and then lives in Green Hill in Montana, I don't know where the fuck bumfuck America is, and then he spends ten years living there is a baffling fucking <laughs> like like screenwriting choice to the point when Sonic is the most annoying character in the world because he's just pop culture references, oh, yeah, yeah, which yeah. Sonic has never been, just constant pop culture because he's lived on Earth for ten years, so he might as well just be. You know, human. I mean, if I'm honest, I really didn't think that hard about it. I watched it, uh, and I think I've forgotten it already. It's that forgettable. <laughs> and they spend half the fucking half the movie is their road trip. I remember you sending like... me a picture, and I think it's of a film called Hop. Yeah, with James Marsden, James Marsden. sitting in a car with a CGI character, <laughs> looking as involved in the scene as he does in this. <laughs> What do you think of Jim Carrey in it? I thought he was amazing. I thought he was the only reason to watch it. I think he's really switched on. The scene where he's like waiting for the I don't know the the hedgehog spike or whatever to kind of yeah do whatever it's doing. Oh yeah, he's doing and some, he's like he's yeah. playing like a virtual video game where he's running from a T Rex and all that kind of stuff. I was laughing quite a bit. At yeah, that. that was like yeah 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 that was like Kerry back in the mid nineties kind of. It's and very it, Edward Nigma, And it just reminded me of how much I miss that Jim Carrey. Yeah. And yeah. I liked him at the end when he's got the full-on Robotnik uh, yeah. moustache. Me too. I thought he would have gotten fat. but Because mm. they call him Eggman in this because of the shape of his robots. Uh, of course, yeah. Because he's called Eggman because of the shape of his body in the comics. And you know at the beginning where they, they throw the, the ring and you see the Mushroom Kingdom? Yeah. I thought that was a joke. Mario joke, yeah. 
Yeah, I hate mushrooms. I guess it is. I guess it is. I guess it is, but it kind of went on a bit. Oh, everything went on a bit in that fucking film. I, I, I just wanted Sonic to shut the fuck up. I was like, just stop having lines in this film. Just go away. Like, <laughs> like, he was spaffing over going into that biker club, and I'm like, why are you so excited to go into yeah. that biker club? Well, that's part of the film where you're doing Sonic's bucket list. You know, oh, what everybody yeah. wanted to see. <laughs> I, I hated it. Did you see Tails at the end? Of course I did. I, You know, it's voiced by the actual person who used to voice Tails in the I was going to say, it sounded film. like... The cartoon yeah. version of Tails. Which, again, took me more out of the fucking thing that Sonic's voiced by uh, the Parks and Rex guy, Ben... Uh, what's his name? Um, and then Tails is voiced by actual Tails. It's just, that's, <laughs> actual that's, Tails. Um, that's, oh, look, it's really Tails in this now. It is just a, a bizarre, bizarre movie. That is, I mean, it's just a, it's a kid's movie at the end of the day. It's, it's very much a kid's film, yeah. It's just, I think, I really liked Detective Pikachu a lot. Like not that I think it's a perfect film, but I really enjoyed it, and and because of that, it was a really kind of, it was really uh, honest to the Pokemon lore, as as such. Like it felt like they were treating it seriously, and you got like Ken Watanabe in it, who's taking the film seriously. You know, he's he's giving a performance and stuff. Right. Um, and I was kind of thinking after that maybe when they do another CGI video game thing they'd take it a bit more seriously but this it wasn't it was just absolutely just made as a kids film to play on kind of kids netflix and to kind of just be on on play at home all the time and it kind of just disappointed me that i think they didn't try harder do i think you, do you wish um you could have seen the original version with the original sonic oh, oh my god i watched the trailer and i can't <laughs> I, I like whoever signed off that concept is like yep yeah, that's our sonic well, I think the problem is whoever signed off that concept signed off the script and the the CGI model is as bad as the script version of Sonic. The problem is they didn't get to change the fucking script. They got to change the CGI model so it looks like Sonic, but the script's still fucking there. Yeah, I still haven't seen the Pokemon movie. I need to watch that. But um I really enjoyed it. The He's got a little hat and it's a it's a it's a detective hat. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's that's <laughs> like the plot a, of the film. What's the sh- what's the, what are they called? Um, Deer Stalkers. Is that a deer stalker? I always get confused. I think so. What was going to say? Yeah. So the original design of Sonic, it kind of has a lot more in relation to cats in the way that yeah. it hit into that uncanny valley where it just looks trying to look photorealistic but looking really <sighs> off-putting at the same time. I don't know if this Sonic in the film looked a bit too cartoony though. I don't know if they went a bit too the other way. Yeah. Um... They stood out too much and didn't look the problem yeah the problem is the, the film of... yeah ex- exactly if it was just a sonic movie then he looks perfect but yeah, it's yeah. not it's this weird fucking road trip in america movie with with the cop and it he does not really fit into the world they were trying to do in that way like he doesn't look like an alien or something because that's what he's meant to be he looks like a cartoon hedgehog like, isn't, so, is it the highest grossing film of this year now, or there at near? No, because it came out last year. No, it came out this year, didn't it? No, it came out last year. No, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's the highest grossing video game film of all time. Sonic the Hedgehog, let's have a look. I think the highest grossing film of this year is um, Bad Boys. Oh, okay. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog came out on February the 14th. Did it? Yeah. <laughs> 
did it. Don't forget, we're living Christ. in a world where films are just coming out straight away now because they can't yeah, play Yeah, it just, I realised February the 14th feels like it was about seven years ago. Yeah, because we've been stuck in the house and it's been Sunday for the past three weeks. Oh, man. It's bizarre. And this is coming up like in a, quite a few weeks, so I hope the world's still okay. <laughs> yeah, God. fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, um, man. But yeah, I really didn't think too deeply about Sonic. <laughs> oh, I thought a lot about it. I don't know why. Because <laughs> they're making um, a Mario movie now, aren't they, as well? Apparently. But I think it's uh, it's either by Blue Sky Animations. who. Which one, the Blue Sky again? I think they did Horton, Here's a Who, and maybe The Grinch okay. or something like that. Okay. Um, But I get them confused with Illumination as well, who I think do like the, um, the Despicable Me movies. Yeah. Yeah. Illumination. Uh, who were the ones that do um, the stop motion stuff? What are they called again? Oh, uh, Leica. Leica. That's okay. I think I mixed them up. Leica are a weird anomaly because they're owned by the uh, owner of Nike shoes. Is that really? Because his his son Travis, who who directed uh, Kubo, and I think he directed uh, Bumblebee. Okay. He was an animator and he just said, Dad, I want my own animation studio. <laughs> Literally, Daddy, pretty much. Daddy, could I have a studio? <laughs> so it doesn't matter if none of their films make any money because they're funded by Nike. So they have, wow. a, they have distributions with different companies, but I think all their films are just funded by themselves and it That's really doesn't incredible. matter if... But there was there's a, an animator who works for them called Oliver Jones. There is. Didn't he win an Oscar? No, he was nominated for Kubo, but but they were all nominated for Kubo because it was a film. Yeah, 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 I didn't mean individually. Yeah, but um, so he he went to White House Common, which was the same junior school that me and Liam went to. Then he went to Fairfax, which was the high school that I went to. Liam went to a a posher. <laughs> I wouldn't say posher, but definitely a. I'm a little posh boy. A little posh boy. He went to a. What do you call it? What was what was Bishop Vesey? It's it a grammar school. grammar school. Yeah. So yeah, he went to the same. He was a few years above me, but went to the same school, both schools as me. And he was always like the top at art every year. And so when he when that film was like up for the Oscars, That's I, so weird. I had an influx of people adding me on Instagram, on Facebook, <laughs> congratulating me, and on Twitter. And I was like, "Why am I getting all this? Where's this coming from?" I'm pretty sure there was like an article in the newspaper where it went like Birmingham-born or Sutton Coalfield-born Oliver Jones yeah. gets nominated for Oscar. And I'm like, really? Fucking hell, Ollie. Like, Kept that quiet. this from me. <laughs> yeah, like... So yeah, he's kind of like the better version of me. That's. Uh... <laughs> I have a guy in my work who I, I always think about that as being someone who keeps doing exactly what I want to do. <laughs> right. like he, He's always like two steps ahead of me no matter what Curses. I do. Curses! Yeah, curses. Damn you. <laughs> I've got a nemesis and he has no idea, even though he's a lovely guy. So, yeah. so what are we talking about today then, Liam? No, we're not. I'm going to ask you about cats because you mentioned cats really briefly. Do you do you know on film, they Tom Hooper said that the dancers couldn't wear mocap suits because it would inhibit them to be able to dance? They didn't have mocap suits on them. No. They're just wearing fucking these beige leotards or like a green leotard to be green screen. And that no, that's why the fucking animators had so much trouble doing anything. Like their faces float off their bodies. Oh, getting and stuff them like to kind of track it, onto them, you mean? Yeah, because they had to just track onto just a moving object, not a mocap. Well, I heard, I heard that with the Irishman because um, 
school says he didn't want them to have to wear dots and stuff like that on their faces so apparently that's why that took ages to do because they had to yeah. manually track manually track everything and create new uh programs that could track track the actors so it's creating but it's also um, they so after the trailer came out and the world shat its bed shat the bed kind of collectively <laughs> over what the hell I think they were doing the bed is one of my favorite terms <laughs> it is <laughs> Anytime someone says shit the bed, I always piss myself. I don't know why. It's just... <laughs> and uh, the studio apparently cut the budget, the post, uh, the post, the post kind of, uh, the post budget, whatever. Post production. So it it meant that the animators were already up against the fucking wall trying to do something that was basically impossible, had their budget and time cut to be able to kind of perfect it. And... That's that's kind of a huge reason why it looks like complete ass. And I even like the comp comp. I don't know if you've watched it, but the comp 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 composition. The comping, yeah, the yeah. Composition. I can't talk this morning. Yeah, yeah. Of of the scenes look terrible. Like they're on like a big CGI railway, and they just look like these huge standout animated characters that don't sit in the world at all. And and I can't. I hate the fact that people are shitting on the kind of the CGI guys for it. it. Yeah, it's not bad when they had the hardest task and no tools to do it none of them are going to put it on their cv surely though <laughs> i'd stay away you know there was well, um, probably put i guess they work for studio don't they so there was a um there's a guy on twitter that i follow who's working on the new ghostbusters like as a uh, in the special effects side of it and uh, someone commented on the picture and it said and it turns out the guy who commented on it was is also an effects artist, but he worked on the Ghostbusters from 2016, and he just commented, "You got the good one. I got the shitty oh. 2016." One. <laughs> oh, to be fair, the the visual effects in that 2016 one are brilliant. I love them. It's the best thing about the. It's the yeah, best thing look, about that it, film. It's okay, but it, to me, it just kind of looks like every other film where everything's just. I don't know how to say this, but it just looks too perfect. Yeah, sure. Do you know what I mean? It just yeah, looks yeah, too yeah. crisp and clean. And when a film's set in New York, it should feel a bit dirty and a bit grimy. And I don't know. That's the whole thing about a lot. Like the Marvel films, to me, always just look a little too clean. Yeah, and they you do. You just want something to be a little filmier, like yeah. a little kind of like messed up. And that's because everything's shot in, like, you know. In, in isolation, isn't it? Yeah. It's either shot on a green screen or on digital cameras or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Or, or every shot is augmented by something. In... But anyway. Um, yeah, I need to watch Cats. I am interested. But the thing is, you, you talk about the effects and stuff. and um, But the film must have been flawed before any of the effects were applied. It, do you know what I mean? It was just a bad idea from the... Stop. It's Tom Hooper's the problem in that film, by far. He, he's his obsession with trying to make something that feels like reality is r- rubbish. It's just stupid, and and musicals don't work that way. Yeah, musicals shouldn't. You shouldn't try and make a musical feel realistic yeah, because yeah. then you 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 two elements of your brain that you have to suspend a lot of disbelief anyway to watch a musical, and then. The other side of your brain saying, "Look how realistic this is." It's I'm just gonna like lay mitts. His version of lay mitts is such a problem because it's trying to pretend it's really the French Revolution, but they're singing, like so. It 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 means that it has this clash in your head where it doesn't work, 
and you need and musicals need to be bigger, louder, and yeah. kind of set pieces. And most of the time, I think it's not even worth adapting kind of stage musicals. It doesn't pay off that well. But to do it to do Cats in that way is bonkers. Like, have you ever seen the Steven Spielberg produced version of Cats they were doing in like the kind of nineties? I think it was. No, I didn't know um, this was a thing. You can look at the artwork; it's wonderful. And uh, they look like kind of Oliver and Company and Aristocats, and they all look kind of an- it's fully animated. So, to, and to be honest, doing uh, it as a Disney it would cartoon would probably been better, not yeah, photorealistic. I mean, I hate cats. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I, I hate the musical. But if you're gonna do it, that's the way to do it. Not whatever the fuck they did. Yeah. And even the best thing about cats is the dancing, and the dancers they got to do the film Cats as well. The most of the cast of it are like that kind of crowd who are all like professional dancers. You got the guy who plays the railway cat is one of the best kind of um, dancers in the world, and I think the girl who plays Victoria is as well. But the way they shoot that dancing ruins the dancing because Tom Hooper can't fucking shoot shit. So like you don't get to even see the the really good like dancing and really good movements of them because he's cutting at the wrong point he's doing weird right. close-ups he's and so it ruins the best thing he had going for it which is the fact that he hired a bunch of really good dancers so but, it's just a mess but like, last like, every be- point of it before christmas he he at least directed two or three episodes of dark materials yeah yeah he did and yeah. because he, obviously he was there to set the tone and so that any every other director that helms an episode like adheres to his kind of yeah yeah vision. yeah but I thought that looked great. Yeah, me too. I thought it was a great yeah. show, and uh, I really like it. It proves too. he can do something because <laughs> he did King's yeah. Speech as well, which was okay. I really like King's Speech. I, I think do? that's a good film, but I don't think he's done another good film. Danish Girl is a oh, horrible no. fucking film. That film. They, um, and then Les Mis is bad, and then Cats is bad. Is there another film I'm forgetting? Probably I don't know, but I. The I Danish girl I haven't seen, but it just looked like a horrible attempt at just trying to Oscar bait or something. Yes. Because it it's is. taking a very serious subject and, you know, that needs to be handled at least delicately. And I, again, I haven't seen the film, so it could do, but it just felt like it does Eddie Redmayne you don't want wanting a an trans Oscar. story to do. Yeah. Basically, it does everything, does all of it. And it's the wrong, it's the wrong company doing it. It's the wrong cast. It's the wrong director. It's the, it's, it, and the story is just, it's treated very badly. It really is. Every time I saw pictures of Eddie Redmayne dressed up, he looked like... Have you seen A Matter of Loaf and Death? The uh, Wallace and Gromit short film. Okay, yeah. He looked yeah. like a Wallace and Gromit character. From... <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't look past it. I quite like Eddie Redmayne. He's um, all right. But... He's good at New- as Newt Scamander. I think he's really good at Newt Scamander. Those films are, you know... Yeah, a bit iffy. A bit iffy, but I think he's brilliant. And I think I love him as in Jupiter Ascending, is it called? I need Jupiter to watch Ascending? that one. Isn't he like proper hamming it up in that? Oh, he's fucking bathing in the river of ham <laughs> to, to to have a to have a word. Is that Kenneth Branagh from Thor? <laughs> like, um, what is the quote? It's fucking amazing. It's like, um, uh, don't worry, I've bathed in that I've bathed in that river many times before. Get yourself fully submerged or something. I think he says <laughs> to the cast or something. I can't remember what it is, but it's wonderful. I need to rewatch that first Thor as well. It's probably better than I remember. I just remember you thinking, oh, Asgard looks ace, but then most of the film's just in a dusty desert, and I was like, oh. Yeah. The, the worst thing about the Thor films is that they don't ever get you to really feel what Asgard's like. So, like, um, in the same way, 
in Black, Black, in Black Panther, you really feel what Wakanda's like. You get a really good sense of geography of it. You get a really good sense of the people living in it and what, what life is like there. I kind of disagree then, with that, but... <laughs> I think you do. And then Asgard, it's pointless. Asgard, I don't know if they're all gods. I don't know if they're all powerful. I don't know right, like right, what's, yeah. what's the general life of, of someone living in Asgard. Is there a shopkeeper? Is there a farmer? Is there like... You definitely get a sense of Wakanda being a place where people live, whereas Asgard, you see about 12 people milling around, and that's about yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> but don't forget Asgard's a people, not a place. I hate, I hate, I hate, <laughs> I hate. I, I know that Thor Ragnarok's a really good film. I know that. It doesn't mean I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this year we're looking at 1993. Um, so for you, what stands out in 1993 as, a, as films in that year? Well, clearly, the big one of the biggest films ever came out that year, didn't it? It was Jurassic yeah. Park. You know, you Jurassic couldn't go Park, yeah. anywhere without seeing that logo everywhere. And like that was a killer year for Spielberg because he also did Schindler's List. Like also did Schindler's List. That's gonna say yeah. And which started off like a trend for him, where he started to do like two films. Like he'd have a break for a couple of years, and then he would come out with a bang with like two films. So it was like this year it was Jurassic Park, Schindler's List. Another year it was like The Lost World and Amistad. Was that the same year as well? There was Tintin was Tintin and something else came in the same year, didn't Tintin it? Tintin and Warhorse. Warhorse, yeah. And he no, did I hate Warhorse. Minority Report and Catch Me If You Can and Big I think it was BFG and Bridge of Spies and then he did The Post and Ready Player One. But anyway. Do you think that Jurassic Park would have won Best Picture if he didn't make Shinza's list the same year? Do you think he fucked up? Well, he didn't fuck up because he still won it. <laughs> well, he didn't, he didn't win it, but it's weird that Jurassic Park doesn't win get any kind of nominations or any any look at awards. But it's kind of stood the test of time such a big way that it's it's a huge film, you know. Well, and it's with special effects because... around then. It was the effects award must have been around then? So it kind of it must have it won must things have like that. Um, but let's, I, let's have a look. don't get me wrong. I Best l- visual effects was Jurassic Park. You're right. Like. I love Jurassic Park, but it's not a film that would win an Oscar, I don't think. I think now it would get more of a look in. I think the 90s in the Oscars are very weird because they're very much... it's it's Before they kind of drop it to the 10 and now it's like the, the optional 10. It's really about this kind of Oscar baity kind of films and... I'll tell you what. There's a lot of films in that in that period where people don't even haven't even seen they get nominated for Best Picture. It's got an amazing cast though for a blockbuster film because there's it's not filled with your typical stars, is it? You know, you've got Sam no, Neill, no. Laura Sam Dern, Neil, yeah. uh Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Jeff Goldblum was relatively not a th- a thing then, really. I mean he was a star, but he wasn't kind of he wasn't what when people think Jeff Goldblum now, it's well, a very different he picture. He did the fly. And he yeah. did uh, Earth Girls Aren't Easy. I can't... Is it that film I don't like, Big Chill, isn't he in that? Oh, yeah, I think so, yeah. But, yeah, you've also got Mrs. Doubtfire came out that year. Which, oh Robin God. Williams is fantastic in that film. Yeah, he is. That film is... That film doesn't totally hold up. But Robin <laughs> There Williams are some funny bits, though. Like when he throws a lime at Pierce Brosnan's head. <laughs> <laughs> Drive by Fruity. Yeah, it's an amazing bit. And then I think everyone in the world can go like hello, <laughs> hello. and know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, you got the fugitive, which I only saw for the first time, I think, earlier this year, maybe. That is a film which I always think is trashier than it is. No, no, sorry, I think is 
I mean, what am I saying here? The opposite. So you think it's more highbrow than it is? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's not not that it's bad. I love it. It's a really good film, but it's a very much a kind of. It's just a. I don't know, it could be any cop drama or anything like that. It's just kind of really good fun and, and fast moving. And Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, you got The Firm, Indecent Proposal. I like The Firm. I like The Firm a lot. Cliffhanger. Oh my God. John which Lithgow. introduced me to John Lithgow as a, a villain. A villain, yeah. Which he'd obviously played villains before, like in... Um, oh yeah, Blowout. Blowout. And uh, Raising Cain. Had that come well. out before? Had that come out before or after? I think Raising Cain's before. Was it yeah. before? Uh, Sleepless in Seattle, Philadelphia. I love in Seattle. Philadelphia uh, is an amazing film. And There's a film that people think are kind of is Oscar baited, but actually go back and watch it. No, now. It's, it's really actually, good. It's really yeah. quite high art. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's kind of surprising. And Pel- Groundhog Day is 1993. See, that should have been up for an Oscar for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. Bill Murray was so good in that film. Um, Nightmare Before Christmas is 1993 as well. So you got a lot of these kind of films that really have stood the test of time and actually inserted itself into kind of culture at large, really. Yeah, The Night Before Christmas has become a bit annoying, though, I think. In the... Yeah. But I remember we saw that at the cinema. Don't blame the original film, though. I won tickets through the local newspaper to go and see that, so we went to go and see it. <laughs> oh, really? Is that why we went to go see it? Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Loaded Weapon 1. I'm still oh, waiting for God. Loaded Weapon 2. <laughs> still waiting. The Crying Game, Army of Darkness. The Crying Game and Army of Darkness are the year before. Uh, not on my list. No, they're not. Mm. And maybe they're January releases. 26th of February, Army of Darkness. Okay. I, that's the year of film problem, isn't it? Yeah. I'd say one film I really like that came out this year is The Wedding Banquet, Ang Glee film. Oh, okay. It's, I haven't seen that It's one. really, really, really good and really stands up, actually. And I'd recommend people check that out. Oh, My Neighbour Totoro came out. Wow, is that when it got its UK release? It must be, yeah. Well, American release. So, Many Society came out, which I need oh, to yeah. see as well because that would be that might be quite a good complimentary piece to, yeah, Boys in the Hood. To Boys in the Hood, yeah. Um, Super Bar- Mario Brothers the movie. Speaking of um, Sonic, <laughs> uh, well, Last Action Hero. Oh, Last Action Hero really holds up. I love that. I film. do like it, but I wish you know at the end when. They've got the ticket when uh, you've got Ian McKellen coming out as the Grim Reaper from The Seventh Seal. Like, you can imagine if they were to make that film now, there'd be loads more characters coming out. Of yeah. It. Yeah. And it would 100% star The Rock. It would star The Rock. They should make a sequel star in The Rock. That would be a good rock film. Uh, Free Willy, Hocus Pocus. Because, yeah, it could be almost that The Rock is doing the reboot of, yeah. of the Jack whatever his name is, movies. Whatever the in-film character is, Could yeah. it totally work? And you could still have it Arnie in it. Really easy. Yeah. And he could be, no, he could know about what's... Yeah, because you'd have Arnie in real life, so he has to go find real-life Arnie to find out what the fuck's going on yeah. or something. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. And I... Arnie in Rockville. Right, we're making it. Um... We're writing the spec script. <laughs> the, the next last action hero. Yeah. The last last That's action hero. <laughs> the next to last action. I don't know. Anyway. So, <laughs> what also came out? What also came out is Freaked, and I know you want to speak about Freaked. Oh, yes, Freaked. <laughs> what did you think of it? <laughs> um, it's definitely a film that got stopped being made halfway through. Oh, 100%. So, <laughs> this film, there's kind of like an offshoot of a TV series that um, 
Well, it was a, there was, originally there was a short film that um, Alex Winter from Bill and Ted fame made with his friend. And it was a short film, and it was basically like a but like an extended butthole surfers music video. Yeah, yeah and it was yeah, kind of like definitely. in the, it was like a spoof of like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it was called. If you just bear with me, while I refer to my notes, it was called the Barbecue Movie. Oh God! And so from the su- success of that short film, and obviously he'd been in the Bill and Ted movies, they made like an MTV show that was like a sketch show, and it was called Idiot Box, and um. It was kind of in the. It was like a bit of a mixture of Mad Magazine and um, Monty Python, but you know, like how Beavis and Butthead, it would have like two minutes music video, two minutes music video. It was like that, so it was created to kind of showcase music yeah. videos, but to have like sure. little interstitial gags and stuff like that in between, like Sif and Ollie as well. Yeah, like that kind of thing, and um, because of that, they started to write a feature film, which was almost meant to be like a butthole surfers movie again like the short film sure but then it evolved into its own kind of thing and uh, the head of sony pictures loved the film that much that he was like here you go here's 12 million dollars we're gonna make action figures we're gonna make this like a big thing but with all studios they constantly changing who the hierarchy is in these like kind of yeah he got fired didn't they yeah so he got fired and the guy who took over basically said this is shit i hate it and kind of during post-production just cut the budget so like so they couldn't have half the music they wanted to have and a lot of the grandiose effects in and stuff but i think for what what it is like the the makeup effects and stuff like that i think they look (laughs) they're good fun i really like the makeup effects a lot and i really like the kind of claymation stuff in it yeah that's my favorite stuff about it when it's not doing that I think it needs not to be in it <laughs> yeah, almost. I agree. It's like, a bit of a weird film. Bit, bit I like um I said to you that it's the fact that Alex Winter's face gets this huge prosthetic on it and, and he can't speak properly during it is really <laughs> funny to me. And I wonder if they meant to ADR it and ran out of money and they couldn't. Well I thought like, they did ADR it because if you look at his mouth, he's barely even opening his he's mouth. Barely so who, yeah, maybe he did. I don't know. But it's really funny that the lead character can suddenly basically stop being able to talk quite well <laughs> halfway through the film like he plays like obviously purposely so he's a horrible character but he's so irri- yeah he's so irritating in it but there are some it's one of those problems we were saying that last week with glenn gary glenn ross the, one of the problems with the film is that i don't like anyone in it so <laughs> yeah. I, you stop kind of caring a little bit and it's that's that's a problem with the film but it's a very 1993 thing to write i think not like, even keanu reeves is a dog boy or uh Mr. he's not even credited no no he couldn't be for because he didn't get paid enough. So I think it's oh, all okay. to do with, you know, unions and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But um, he obviously did it because him and Alex Winter are, like, best friends. Buddies, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you've got... Um... He's really good in it. He's really committed to it. I liked Mr. T in it a lot, though I don't like the character in it. Right. If that makes sense. Because, like, everyone else has this grandiose, like, changing to them. Like, it's all big, like, claymation and things and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And his is just, like... Is he got turned into a woman in a with a beard, and I feel like it would have been funnier if it was if they'd lent into that more. Like yeah, if it yeah. was like just a big beard on like a woman's body or stuff like that. Like that would have fit yeah. the rest of the film. Like it just didn't feel loud enough to me. Where the rest, everything else was so loud. You... I loved uh, Bobcat Goldthwait's character, the man with a hand the for the face, sock puppet. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was so funny. You've got a giant worm. You've got a guy with a giant nose. Yeah, they all hate him, and that really makes me laugh. Yeah. That was a big um, gag. If you watch, though, if you notice, Keanu Reeves is only in the close-ups. If ever it's a wide and stuff like uh, okay. that, it's someone else. Because okay. they could that probably only sense. get him for, like, a day or two. Or a something. day, yeah. 
But uh, did you ever watch a cartoon back in the day called The Toxic Crusaders, which is like a, a spin-off from The Toxic Avenger? Yes. Yeah, this to me felt... I get it confused with the McDonald's thing. What was that one? There was a McDonald's kind of character that were like that. Okay. I don't know what that's called. I remember there was a game, a McDonald's yeah. video game. But um, So The Toxic Crusaders was a spin-off of the Troma movie, which was like a a nasty little kind of silly, low-budget horror superhero yeah. film. But was the, it James the... Gunn? No, he didn't write those. It was Lloyd Kaufman who did those. That's right, yeah. That's right. James Gunn came James in Gunn a bit came later. For it. Tromeo, yeah, and Ro- Tromeo and Juliet. Tromeo yeah. and yeah. Juliet, yeah. So, um, but this film feels more like the Toxic Crusaders movie. So if you look yeah. at those toys and stuff, they look a lot like Yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to watch it because it's just... If if someone gave me twelve million dollars, that's probably what I'd make. <laughs> it would end up something like that. <laughs> yeah. the, I loved the yeah the claymation stuff and all that kind of imaginative. I was well on board for that. I think it was just I felt like the script needed another going over. There, like, there but... was some gags that really made me laugh though. There was like so they each me character too. kind of um, has like a you know when it kind of like goes into their memory of how they became the freak. Yeah, and they yeah, keep yeah, getting yeah. shorter and shorter and shorter until he gets to a hammer on the floor. And his flashback <laughs> yes. is that he was once a spanner. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh too. Actually, I really like that. And the kid made me laugh. The troll. Oh, I found the kid really annoying. He looks like the Mad Magazine kid. Yeah, he does, yeah. He's got fake has he got fake ears on? Fake ears and fake teeth, yeah. Yeah, okay. Couldn't quite tell. But yeah, watch Freaked. It's on YouTube and it's free to watch. <laughs> it's free to watch. It's, Thank it's you later. very short. Oh, that was what made me laugh. There's a um, Brooke Shields says something like, "We look, we've been here for ninety minutes and we still haven't got to the plot or something like, or introduced oh, or yeah. something." I can't remember what she says, but because the film was so cut short, they've actually only been there for sixty minutes in the film. <laughs> so obviously, the script planned for them to be a lot longer. Like, was she the pinhead as well? Oh, was she? I think I, I don't, don't know. know. I was looking at it today. I was thinking, is she the pinhead? She looks anyway. From Freaked to today's movie, so what are we today's talking movie. about today? So I kind of thought, I think Ali might not like me for this, but I kind of thought it was stupid if two British people do films about the 90s and don't explore Merchant Ivory would be a mistake. Because Merchant Ivory at this time was just huge. Like to the point that Merchant Ivory didn't even mean films made by that production company. It actually just meant a genre of film. Like films that weren't even this production company that were called Merchant Ivory Pictures. Right. And that was kind of like, um, you know, any kind of these English costume drama kind of romance films. So um, so they're two different so what, people, aren't they? So Merchant yeah, Ivory. James Ivory yeah. and Ismail Merchant. And weren't they and set, wasn't re- it set up to make like Indian, English English Indian movies or something like that. Yeah, the writer that they often worked with uh, was Ruth Prowler. I get a name. I'm going to say her surname badly, but it's uh, Jaffad, I think, or something. I apologise for my pronunciation. Uh, so they were the kind of three force of it, and they had their h- huge success in the kind of 1980s with a uh, view. Um... Howard's what? Howard's. No, no. Howard's. Uh... Oh my God, a room with a view. Room with a view. With. Uh... Helen Baumler Carter in it. Okay. And um, that was, I actually watched that yesterday, kind of after watching this. And oh, really? um, it really holds up, actually. I need to and watch that one. It's, and they're, they're all these films are these kind of grand, soft, softly shot kind of films, wide open landscapes, um, 
they're often costume dramas, but they're always kind of historical in nature. So you've got stuff like the Bostonians that also stars Christopher Reeve, like this film. And then you've got stuff like um, um, uh, Maurice, I think it's called. Is it Maurice? That was well ahead of its time with Hugh Grant in it about a gay love story in kind of Edwardian Britain, which okay. came out in like 84. So it came out during like the AIDS crisis and people at the time just weren't ready for it. But now it's actually really holds up as this kind of incredible kind of LGB filmmaking in a period when no one was doing this. Like, so Because they did and, um, Call Me By Your Name as well, didn't they? They did, yeah. So I was going to say, they kind of, after this film, they almost decline quite sharply. This, like, Howard's Way the year before this was huge. Remains of the Day comes out this year and it's again huge. But they kind of struggle then to kind of get other films going. Uh, There's a Picasso film that starred um, Anthony Hopkins as well. Okay. Um, And I think around 2000, there's an Uma Thurman film called The Golden Cup or something like that. I'm going to get that name wrong. Um. And, but they kind of just disappear out of the picture. So so what film are we talking about then? You're burying the lead. Yeah, I am burying the lead a little bit, but that's a bit of context on Merchant Ivory, but today we're going to talk about Remains of the Day. For the past 30 years, this has been the world of Stevens the butler. A man cannot call himself well-contented until he has done all he can to be of service to his employer. Within the protective walls of Darlington Hall... What happens within this house during the conference could have repercussions on the whole course that Europe is taking. I understand fully. He has led a life of perfect order and total control. You don't like to have pretty girls on the staff, I've noticed. Might it be that our Mr. Stevens fears distraction? Good-looking woman. A first-rate housekeeper is essential in a house like this where great affairs are decided. But as the world outside was changing... The United States does not want war any more than you do. On the other hand, neither would we care for peace at any price. So was the world inside Darlington Hall. You do realize that over the last few years, his lordship has been the most important pawn that the Nazis have in this country. It is not my place to be curious about such matters. We have some refugee girls on the staff. You'll have to let them go. So Remains of the Day is a a film about Anthony Hopkins, who's a butler that serves one of these old grand houses that you get in England. And it's about his period of his life when he was serving uh, James Fox's master. And he. um, They hire a new housekeeper, which is Emma Thompson, who kind of falls into his life. And it's about his struggle to break his kind of like traditions to to kind of be honest to himself about kind of going after her or kind of keeping this kind of obsession with his place in society really and he kind of ruins his life over it yeah is that a good is that a good summary of this film it's hard to kind of summarize i guess the majority of it's set during the late 20s and the 30s 30s yeah but then it flashes forward or that's the to the ninth, so like the mid fifties, yeah, where he's going to meet her again after a long absence of not seeing her. Yeah, she got she eventually leaves the house. She marries. But, um, so, what did you think of it? What did I think of it? I actually really love this film uh, in a way that I didn't think I was going to. It really surprised me. Yourself? Uh, yeah, I loved it as well. Oh, did you? Wow, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was fa- I thought it was fantastic. But that said, I don't know how much. I have to say about it, but I know that I loved it. It's one of my dad's favourite films. 
as well. Okay. As a possibility. It's an incredibly British film. Incredibly. I think it might struggle to play yeah. outside of Britain a little bit because it's about that repressiveness of British society and that the way tradition really represses yeah. British people as well. And it it gets all that into this film in a way that I don't think I've seen it portrayed in quite the same way before. Um which I thought was really interesting. I know it's based on a book, a very successful book, Booker Prize winning, by um, a British British Japanese guy called um, Kazuo Ishiguro, uh, who's now a sir. So Sir Kazuo Ishiguro, I should say. Um, and I wonder if I wonder if him being he's he's British, but I wonder if being kind of born from a foreign family meant that some way he got an outsider's view a little bit of British society and was able to kind of write British society in this way, in a way that maybe British people might struggle to sometimes. Well, I thought, I didn't know if, like, because he comes from a Japanese family, that his his family's culture may have helped, like, inform the story about their hierarchical nature of... Maybe it, Maybe he saw connections. Yeah, that's what I was from... thinking from Japanese culture to his but I mean he moved to England when he was I think three or something so so he wasn't born here then no he was born in Japan and they moved here very young so he like he definitely really only understood like he would have understood British society from that massively like I find one of my first notes in this um Christopher Reeve is in this which is I was really kind of shocked. Great. I was really shocked to see him in this because it's been a long time since I've seen a film that I haven't seen with Christopher Reeve in it. And I was like, "Yeah, oh shit, it's Christopher Reeve!" And it felt yeah, like yeah, yeah. for a brief minute he was back again. Yeah, totally. and it was nice because yeah. I've always liked Christopher Reeve. He's everything. The stuff that he does outside Superman, he's really good in it. Have you ever seen that weird Christopher Reeve film about when he falls in love with an old lady, so goes back in time to? to date her you have actually i have seen that i've I've been trying to find i I couldn't remember i was thinking about the other day and i couldn't remember what it was called i'm trying to remember its name but um time after something time after time isn't it is it time after no no it's not time after time that's a 1979 film i think but uh, oh time after time is the one with hg wells goes to kill the yes jack the ripper or something it's at somewhere in time. Somewhere in time. Somewhere in time. Nineteen eighty. It's, it's such a fucking weird. And he kind of goes back in time by hypnotizing himself. <laughs> to be fair so to me, he was is... a good. He was a good Superman. You can't deny him that. Great Superman. He's yeah. great in this. I, I wrote down that you know the early scene when you're seeing the nineteen fifty. Because the American guy Christopher Reeve ends up buying this house. A yeah. lot of a lot a lot of the film is kind of about um, the British kind of insecurity of being overtaken by kind of american imperialism yeah, and yeah, yeah. by by the american coming in and buying one of these grand houses that's kind of a big statement of, the, of we're losing our tradition kind of thing which but that early scene when they're kind of still in the same room talking i wrote down there's a bit of a bruce wayne alfred vibe to the, that relationship oh i 100 percent thought anthony hopkins or tony depending on who you if you're friends with him he would have made a perfect alfred he got offered it didn't he did I think before I think I think for um, Kane or yeah I think so and he turned it down I think okay I might to be, be fair Kane was a great Alfred anyway but anyway that's... Kane's a fantastic Alfred but I even saw like Christopher Reeve I was like Christ he would have made a really good Bruce Wayne like really good Batman as well yeah well he's Which... got the perfect 
physique for it, hasn't he? Yeah, he does, yeah. I have to say, one thing that shocked me about this film is um, how much it spoke to us now, for me. Like, I think it might even speak to modern Britain yeah. better than it did when it came out in 1993. Um, obviously, it speaks to the past, but I don't think in 1993 the messages of this film would have rung so heavily the way it did now in the kind of political sense because a big part of this film is the fact that James's Fox's character is um, a Nazi and he gets kind of subsumed by the, the kind of yeah. Nazi authoritarian stuff and well is he a Nazi or is he just easily led and persuaded well he's persuaded to become because a they Nazi suggest... basically because like... they obviously he... suggest later on that he he realises he was wrong in his way of thinking or I don't think he realizes he's wrong. I think no. I don't think he realizes he was wrong. I think he realizes that it's almost like he got caught out by it. Like So but he the thing to... is he he apologizes he he apologizes for for getting the two girls sacked. But then but he's still having meetings later on, isn't he? So I wonder yeah. is he having a conflict with himself then or yeah. I think it's a general conflict a lot of people... Because this, this is not based on a true story. Well, he's based on a true figure, though. He's based on Oswald Mosley, which yeah, is that's the head what I was of gonna, the... I was going to get there, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the head of the British Nazi party. Um, yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> there's so much about this film without... Like, I found it fascinating how Anthony Hopkins' character allowed kind of fascism to happen... In because he was embarrassed to kind of speak up about it, yeah. like he allows those two kids to go to the Holocaust, just because he was he 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 couldn't break his position in society. Yeah. Um. And and he couldn't kind of he couldn't he couldn't see himself to break his master basically because he knows his place in this. But it's like everything's perverted in this film. Like relationships are totally perverted because of the hierarchy. So people can't say yeah. what they really feel or how what they really want to say well it's funny it's the, the way this the way the film works is well the way society works the way the film portraying it is the fact that these upper class people the people running the house the people kind of who are having these meetings they kind of pretend that the working class people are part of this world like they pretend that the butler is is a part of this and is an important part of this what is reality is that because they're upholding these traditions and upholding this this kind of strategy in um stratigraphy in life is the fact that they're ruining the people's lives below them. Yeah. But they don't see that. Like Anthony Hopkins thinks that by being part of this this world, it will help him become like a better person and, and fulfill his life. But actually what you're seeing is by him playing this game of tradition and by playing this game of, of the upper classes, it ruins him. It not only gets people killed, it supports Nazism, it, it helps fascism rise. And, you know, he he can't even admit to the woman he loves that he loves her at any point because he knows it would go against his teachings as part of this world. And I thought that was brilliant. Well, he's just wasted his life, hasn't he, emotionally and yeah. politically? Like, he's just... Politically he's and just everything. No, and... He's a nothing at the end of the day. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's got yeah. no thought... Like, when the one guy asks him for his opinion on various topics... My good man, I have a question for you. Yes, sir? Do you suppose the debt situation regarding America is a significant factor in the present low levels of trade? Or do you suppose this is a red herring and that the abandonment of the gold standard is at the root of the problem? 
I'm sorry, sir, but I'm unable to be of assistance in this matter. Oh, dear, what a pity. Like, class and tradition and subservience to this kind of turned him into his own worst en- enemy. Like, he he kind of yeah. messes his life up over this obsession with tradition and his role of responsibility, and he lets the world just pass him by, really. he And I really like how the American guy is warning us that we're heading for a disaster. Like... We're, we're, and if we don't yeah. embrace kind of real well, politics, it's a gentleman's these, politics. Yeah, and these men are like, no, it's gentleman's politics, and it's so about modern Britain now. Like this film is about the Reese Moggs, the the kind of um, Boris Johnsons, oh, yeah, yeah. about it's about the fact the that boys. English people love a posh man in a suit, you know, and we think that they're the people who do politics yeah. for us. These these upper class people who are fucking clueless about so much stuff, and. This film has all that in it, and I, cu- I couldn't believe it. I was not expecting it to be there in this script. I was not expecting it at all. I was saying that, like, there's a cut to... There's a cut when they're having their big party and all the Nazis are upstairs discussing kind of Nazi bullshit. And the, they cut to the the people in the kitchen, work in the kitchen. They cut to kind of the butler and the gardener and stuff like that. And I was saying, you could make this now, and that could be fucking... That could be people working in a Weatherspoons or people working in an Amazon warehouse. It's the same yeah, yeah, class yeah. problem. It's just... because It's hidden in this kind of very posh society of the 30s, but it's the same structural problem we have in this country right now still. And this manages to portray the fact that the fact that working people are trapped in this problem are ruining their own lives over this. And they're being they're being kind of fed scraps from the upper classes to pretend that you're part of this society, but actually it ends up will ruin you and it will destroy you and and your your inaction will lead to yeah. stuff like fascism on the rise and it will lead to kind of this these issues and, and authoritarianism to be kind of increased in the world because you're stuck in this role of tradition and you don't want to break it. And I have to say, I really sang to me this film did in a way that I didn't think it was going to at all. Like, and I felt like it's a, in a modern Britain, in, in it really worked for me. Well, it's a very clever film that on one hand, it's like a repressed love story. but And on the second hand, it's this political kind of... But it's, it's just very clever how they intertwine the two together. Yeah. And it's yeah. quite subtle in the way that it does it as well. It's not like yeah. in your face, but it's... And I tell you... I thought the music was like, because you can speak probably more to the, the undertones of the film, whereas I probably look at it more on a surface level on like how it was produced and how it was made and stuff. But Fine. like for me, if a film's got a good score in it, I'm usually in. And the score was fantastic. Yeah, sure. The score's epic. Yeah, yeah. And I just thought it was fantastic score. That's a proper Merchant Ivory thing, that kind of big score. It's like shot with this beautiful big, big camera, big like soft colours and soft lighting and stuff. So his name is Richard Robbins, and he did all. He's pretty much done all of the uh, uh, the Merchant Ivory films, okay. and then Tony Pierce Roberts, who was the um, cinematographer, he'd also worked on several Merchant Ivory films, but right. he also uh, was the DP on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Ah, oh, wonderful! Uh, De Lovely. If you haven't seen De Lovely, you should watch that one. I haven't seen De Lovely. Uh, okay. Doom. <laughs> no way! Cool. Underworld and Jungle to Jungle with Tim Allen. <laughs> so he's had an interesting <laughs> career. Oh my god! I was going to say one of my favourite moments was just—it was just a little moment at the beginning, and I'm assuming they're just going out on a fox hunt or something like that. They were going out on a ride, yeah. and there's just one shot of of uh, Anthony Hopkins pouring a glass for his his master and just holding it out yeah. to him while he's being oh 
He's being yes. ignored, and it's just, just that ignored. Was yeah, such a poignant. Ah, oh, yeah, 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 just yeah, a yeah, poignant yeah. moment that was. And it just says a lot without saying uh, same same thing later on. I think you mentioned this earlier. The scene when the asshole is questioning about politics, and he knows that the guy can't answer them. He knows that the guy won't have an opinion, but he's yeah. doing it to point out that he doesn't have. And it's such this kind of, this is the way these people think about working men, and they still think about it this way. Yeah, that the just, working man can't yeah, yeah. have an opinion on politics. Like, but look at this idiot over here working for his life, and and that scene really cut me to the core. I have to say, <laughs> like, it really worked for me. Like, in like, and why I, I was also going to mention that in the nineteen fifties bit of the film when he's going to go see Emma Thompson now that she's uh, broken up with her husband, and he's he's you kind of hope that he will kind of admit to her that he loves her which he doesn't like which is heartbreaking but um well, when they, he's in... they they say a lot to each other without, without say... saying it yeah he's in that pub and you realize that he you know he's held this position all his life and he's a you know as a grand butler of this house and that means a lot to him in his world but as soon as he goes to the west country good old west country as soon as he comes over to west country and he's he's he in this world out. It means nothing. People don't give a shit about about him, and actually think it's a bit silly, you know. And and he's he's you yeah. know his father died in this position in the fact that he didn't even wasn't even there when his father was dying. He's kind of given up so much for his for this role, and actually it was all a con by the by the kind of his masters really. They they've conned him into kind of losing most of his life into telling him that it's really important. And I just oh, I felt really sad. I felt really sad for him watching that like. His, it, the whole film is 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 sad though. Like the whole relationship with his father, yeah. Um, you know how his father had. He was obviously at his level at one point, and then had to become like had to work under his own son, and then there was that weird hierarchical thing going on between them, and uh, obviously he was making mistakes. When it's the start of the film and he's like, I've got two people to come into this employee and one of them's Emma Thompson. He goes, and also there's Mr. Stevens. And they wheel in this kind of like, like zombie in like <laughs> <Yeah>. suit. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, what? How, how could you possibly think he could work? I loved it. I loved that, that. When Anthony Hopkins was offered the role, he thought he was being offered the role of, of the father. Oh, really? Because he thought he was too old to play that character, yeah. So he was quite huh. shocked to be asked to play the young, the, the son. Oh, don't worry, we've got Master Eamon to come out and play the father. I can't believe Master Eamon played like the old dying father in this, and then twenty years later was playing like the old blind dying master in Game of Thrones. Like it's, I always find it fascinating how I know <laughs> how people have like these careers when they just play old dying men for so long. That's my favorite character in this, though. That yeah, it was he was the best by far. You've also got Ben Chaplin in it. Do you remember Ben Chaplin? No, I don't think I do. From Game On. Oh, why? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember Game On? Yeah, I do. So he plays like the one who goes off with the new uh, housekeeper or whatever. I don't know, the the new maid. Yes. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And funny enough, I got a friend request on Facebook by the roommate from Game On. (laughs) Because we've got mutual friends, which was bizarre. Um. Did you accept that friend request? Uh, I may have done. I'm not confirming or denying. Hugh Grant is one of his first films. He hasn't got floppy hair. <laughs> but he's an interesting character as well. How he starts off as and how he evolves over the film. He's not in it much, but it's 
when he comes back several years later, we see how he's he's, he's grown up and obviously yeah. he's learned about the birds and bees, I'm assuming. That was a good scene, yes. that was. That was a good scene. And he dies in the war <laughs> as well. Like, which is kind of Yeah, you find out sad, he dies in the war, yeah. But he's kind of, he's the socialist kind of yeah. journalist, isn't he, kind of? And they all think he's an idiot, basically. Um, when he's just yeah trying to get by, I guess. But this that was that must have been before he broke big with um, like four weddings and a funeral. I'm guessing it's the next year, isn't it? Two thousand four, I think is no, sorry, nineteen ninety four. I think is four weddings. So yeah, Emma Thompson, she's just as guilty as Anthony Hopkins though for not saying how she feels. I know she's a bit more abrupt about it, like when she corners him, yeah, in his room because that's the only place she can corner him in the corner of yeah, his. Yeah, it's the like, only office. time you're ever gonna try and get a conversation. Yeah. And she finds out he's like reading like a a romance novel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's such a sweet little scene. And she thinks it's some trashy thing. And he's just like, I like to read books. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they're both stuck in this world and system. Um, Yeah, and she brings him those flowers and she asks him, he asks her not to. But clearly, later on, you see there's more flowers in there. So she is kind of chipping away at him a bit very slowly. You see, it's all this romance happening behind the scenes and neither of them are really talking about it and the film doesn't yeah. even really talk about it that much because of that. I so I was so annoyed at the end when he yeah, doesn't... They, they, they depart on the bus. Yes. Oh, that's so sad. Any final thoughts on um, on the film? I guess, I guess one that it really surprised me. I didn't expect it to be the film that it is. Um, I think a lot of costume dramas tend to be very um, obsessed with the romance and this has all that romance in it but it actually has something to say about society as well which I didn't expect yeah I... it's got it's got substance to it I mean for me it had great music great performances fantastic cinematography great use of natural light um, and yeah just the themes and that of the overall story I thought were were really well handled yeah. I didn't think it would sing to modern society in the way that I I thought it it did. Like the film about this creeping authoritarianism, which is very much about kind of modern politics today. This film about how how the British love a posh man in a suit and refuse to see them for what they actually are. Like they 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 think, well, he's nice to me. He can't be like a fascist. Like he can't be a horrible person, and he must have my best intentions at heart because he gives me this job and keeps me employed and stuff like that. Um, and actually how the people in charge are keeping people in their own lane. Well, it's like when he goes to the West Country and he, he goes to the, stay in that B&B and he meets, is it the doctor, I think? Yes. Yeah, and he's ans- asking him all the questions, like, and he's saying that he didn't know him, and then later on he, he admits, but I did know him and I liked him very much, because I guess it's hard for him to separate the man that he, I'm guessing, had worked for for probably decades to the yeah. man that he eventually became, and it's probably that hard. Like, do you remember the Jimmy Savile documentary, the second one that Louis Theroux did? Yeah, and he he spoke to his uh, his assistant at the time, who he eventually who Jimmy Savile fired, but she yeah, refused yeah, yeah. to believe that he was capable of doing any of these things, and it's just shows that you can be blinded by people like people's horrible actions because of the people you hope they were or who they were originally or or how they made you feel yeah exactly yeah 
like it's the same thing with like uh, the Jimmy Savile's really good as well, but same thing with like Michael Jackson stuff. People refuse to believe anything that comes out about Michael Jackson because Michael Jackson made them feel really good. They liked his stuff, and it's hard to admit sometimes that something that makes something could have been produced by a bad person that you really like. That's always difficult. Oh, oh, one last thing. Did you know that this there was also a radio play of Remains of the Day? I didn't. Know. And there was also a musical. No. Well, a musical. Okay, you're on Letterboxd. What do you give this out of five? Um, it's up there with four, four and a half, maybe. Yeah, I'm going to go with four and a half. I wish I could speak more eloquently about it, but for me, just as a film, it worked. And for you, as a political kind of... As a mirror to society and about politics. I've, I've, I've avoided saying <laughs> you're gonna the, say the, the B word. Brexit word right now, but yeah. it absolutely is about modern Britain. And we struggle to kind of to act as a nation in our own interests and stuff. And it's absolutely about how the upper classes keep working classes kind of, kind of subdued about letting them into this kind of world. Like you're part of this society or you've got a voice when actually people don't and people don't have a voice. And I think oh, it really speaks to that. And maybe that's this book being really precedent or maybe it's just that we, our society is a lot more about the 1930s than we like to admit. Or when was the original book written? 1989, so yeah, it was only four years before. So, I mean, the writer could have been writing about what was going on in at Britain at that time yeah. as well and using it as like an allegorical kind of... Because we would have had Maggie Thatcher then, wouldn't we? Yeah, the um, minor strikes and stuff like that and things. So yeah, he probably was writing about Britain at the time. I was very surprised by the film. It just goes to show, and it's sad, that things don't really change all that much. No, 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 no. Do you know what I mean? Or they do change, but then they have a a nasty habit of reverting back, or I don't know. Well, I think we're all caught in these cycles, aren't we? Yeah. It's it's that inability to drop tradition I really liked about this film. So, what's next? What we... I figured we'll play a little game. Is that okay? Yeah, I'm just going to say that Anthony Anthony Hopkins doesn't have three brothers, does he? No, he doesn't. This isn't going to be a... The the game I came up with this is just I figured we'd do the letterbox game again. Okay. Um, but it's not going to be about Anthony Hopkins. It's going to be about my favourite actor in this film, Peter Vaughan. <laughs> no. Okay. Go on. Then. <laughs> and I think you I think you you know all these films. I just don't know if you'll know Peter Vaughan's in them. So that might be the challenge, really. Can I just say one of my favourite moments in that film is though when Anthony Hopkins is showing him how to use a mop. That was a brilliant scene, that was. <laughs> the best scene in the world. If I find any dust and dirt, give my good going over with this mop. <laughs> anyway, we'll start with number nine, because I don't think you'll get number ten. Uh, we'll start with number nine, which I think you'll get. This film is from uh, 1960, uh, but it very famously had a remake in the 80s that starred Christopher Reeve. Uh, sorry, the 90s it was actually, wasn't it? 1995, the remake came out. And it's about an uh, English village that all the kids are very similar. Village of the Damned? 
Yep, that's right. Hey. Original Village of the Damned. Uh, you need a little ding, Mark. Um, number eight. This is based on a book. Uh, it came out in 1996. It's, um, it stars two huge actors at the time. Uh, one of them is basically the best actor ever. That's kind of what people think of him for. And the other one was she was really famous in like Tim Burton films and at the time was one of the biggest actresses in the 90s. Uh, early Tim Burton or latter Tim Burton? Early Tim Burton. Um, so that's got to be Renona Ryder. Yeah. And then the best actor. Irish actor. Oh, Daniel Day Lewis. Yes. So Daniel Day Lewis. Uh, is it Renona the like, biblical one? Is, is she like a witch in it? No. Yes. It's about the witch trials. Crucible. Crucible. That's it. Yeah. That's the one. I think you'd get it. Yes. This is a Frank Oz film from 2007. Okay. It had an American remake that was a pile of shit. Oh, I know this one. I know this one. Uh, f- funeral. Oh, fuck. What's it called? Uh, That's the one. Death at a Funeral. Yeah, didn't yep. Didn't uh, Chris Rock remake it? He did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Yeah. And Peter Vaughan's the best character with that as well. He plays the he plays the old granddad. He doesn't he's got like Alzheimer's and like he falls asleep on the toilet. I think he dies on the toilet, I can't remember. Like but Isn't the guy, the brother from my family in it? That's all I remember. Yes, yes that famous brother who's in Love Actually. Oh well. yeah. One of the worst plot lines in Love Actually. So the fourth film is Remains of the Day, so we won't do that third film it is a terry gilliam film from 1981 well if i know my gilliam jabberwocky was like 78 79 or something um is it time bandits it is time bandits yeah i, was, I didn't want to start naming cast because you get it immediately so i was hoping you'd uh wasn't uh, going back wasn't he in a few gilliam films though he was we'll, we'll get to number one soon okay uh, 1971 film uh, directed by Sam Peckinpah um, it's quite a violent film starring Dustin Hoffman oh Straw Dogs yeah Straw film. Dogs Yeah, I think you've got all of these and number one as you say Terry Gillingham film from 1985 the star of this film was in Glenn Gary Glenn Ross Brazil Brazil yeah yeah totally man you got all of those to be honest though I wouldn't but I wouldn't have got them from him being in them. It's because I know the directors and the films they've they've made. No, no, I know. That's why. Well, that's why I thought it was... I, I, he's a great actor, and I think he's always been this character actor, like proper thespian character actor stuff. So I thought it'd be fun to go through his films rather than like Anthony Hopkins, which is all Thor now, basically, and Hannibal, which... But he had a great career. Yeah. And lived till he was 93 and only finished working in like a few years ago. He died in 2016, didn't he? So he was literally working right up to his death, basically. Okay, so what are we talking about next time then? Okay, next week we're going to be looking at 1994 and it's going to be uh, Chungking Express. Oh, I've had had this for years. I found it in a uh, second-hand store on Blu-ray for about a pound. Oh, good steal. And uh, apparently you go... It goes for a pretty penny on eBay now. Really? But I have literally no idea 
what this film is about. <laughs> Don't yeah. you? Okay. It's um, directed by Wong Kar Wai, and uh, it was released by Miramax as well, which oh, okay. did get it a bit of kind of American attention when it came out. But it's um, set in Hong Kong, and it's going to be our first foreign language film, actually. Oh, yeah, it will be, so won't it? It's, I'm pretty sure it's shot in, uh, in Chinese Mandarin, I think. I'm not sure. But I think it's a Hong Kong film anyway. The only other one car Y film I've seen is 2046. I don't know if you've seen that one. Oh, no, I haven't seen that, actually. Maybe I have to have a bit of a deep dive in one car Y. Um, he also directed My Blueberry Nights. Oh, okay. So just to the audience, if it sounds like we're a little bit stilted, I'm going to try and edit it as best as I can. But the internet is severely lagging at the moment. So I'm going to do my best to edit it. So it's uh, there's not massive gaps in between, but there might be a bit of um, of a weird interaction between Liam and myself on this one. Uh, Well, yeah, bit of technical issues. This this record hasn't there been. So hopefully it's not too bad. So anyway, we'll uh, see you next time when we uh, talk through One Car Wise Chunking Express. Uh, hope you can find a copy out there. It's not the easiest one to find, but, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. Um, so, yeah, don't forget uh, to add us on Twitter. We are at Adjust Your Track with a YR. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. And uh, we'll see you next time. And please, as always, if the picture's bad, don't forget to adjust your tracking. <laughs>